This episode is sponsored by BodyTrack. If you are in the golf industry and let's say you're trying to figure out reasons behind speed increases, more efficient ways to improve short game and looking to check out some application and example lessons of folks using data from the ground like center of pressure, vertical force, pressure traces, our friends over at BodyTrack have just re-released their amazing course and certification on the interaction between the golfer and the ground. I know that hundreds of you have already signed up and don't worry, you can go watch the new content and even an example lesson with yours truly uh, at no additional cost. Uh, I was there at the filming this past year in Birmingham, Alabama. It was fantastic. The course and certification is one of the best done out there. The quality is amazing. The best instructors, I mean, you got Sasho, you've got Mark Blackburn, you've got other great folks pouring into that. And the online portal is really nice, easy to go through, watch all the stuff and, and get learning. Check out the link golfsciencelab.com slash body track. That will redirect you to the page you need to go to. And we have a, an awesome GSL exclusive discount. A good chunk of, of money is being taken off of that course cost uh, when you go through that. And we just uh, thank you to Body Track for sponsoring Golf Science Lab. Having myself down to check that out last year was really, really fun. And uh, they've posted that example lesson with Mark and myself, where we were looking at uh, fades and draws on center pressure data. So even if you're not interested in the course, go check that out at that link. And if you are, I hope you sign up. Let me know what you think. Thank you again. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We have a fun conversation this week, which looks at a piece of content which has gone surprisingly a bit viral. So last year, I published a video on the Golf Science Lab YouTube channel titled something like 111 to 119 mile per hour club head speed. And it's a video with myself and Dr. Sasha McKenzie. And it's gotten a bunch of feedback, a bunch of traction. There's like a few hundred comments on there now, and a, a couple hundred thousand people have watched it. And I thought, let's revisit this. Let's address some of the comments in there and try to go a bit deeper with this conversation. So if you haven't watched that video, head over to golfsciencelab.com in the post associated with this podcast. That video will be linked up. Otherwise, head over to the YouTube channel. You can watch it there on the Golf Science Lab. Subscribe while you're there and do that. But uh, that is a bit of the backstory for this. And it's a really fun conversation with Sasha where we get into a bunch of different concepts and, and ideas that were kind of, uh, you know, the reasons behind some of what was going on in this video. So this was a, a great chat. Thanks, Sasha, for, for hanging out with us and, and sharing again. It's always fun to listen to episodes with him. Let's get to it. So last year in 2018, I was down in Birmingham, Alabama at this body track certification shoot with Dr. Sasha McKenzie, who we have on the line with us today. And we were just messing around in Mark Blackburn's hitting bay, and I was complaining about not hitting it far enough. Gosh, what an odd complaint, Sasha. Who ever says that? Never heard of it. Yeah, never heard of it. And so I was hitting a few shots, and Sasha 
gave me a swing cue to have a faster backswing. And I was complaining because I felt like I hit my irons pretty good. And I had some good club head speed there. But with the driver, I just could never have, you know, club head speed that I wanted. I was at like 113 and I was really trying to rip it as hard as I possibly could. And typically around 110, 111. So he gave me this cue. And shockingly, it worked. <laughs> I got up to 119 was the high. And then I was able to get to 116 that day there today. And this video has quite a few people have watched. I think it's like over 200,000 people have watched this video. It's really cool to, to see this. So Sasha, talk with us about that problem that, that I was facing. And, and then what is the solution? Why did this faster backswing cue work? Yeah, well, I think the theory is is well established from some simple physics equations that, um, you know, to rehash what we discussed in the video, at, at impact, you want as much club head speed as you can get. That's going to be completely determined by the kinetic energy in the club. And at the top of the swing, we have no kinetic energy in the club or very, very little unless you have a you know, you have a tiny little bit if you have a loopy swing like a like a Jim Furyk, but but mo for most people it's pretty close to zero. So you've got to add as much kinetic energy into this club as you can during the downswing, and you change the kinetic energy of the club by doing work. A lot of words, but people can replay this as much as they want. So how do you do work on the club? Well, you apply a, a force over a distance. And that's going to be the, the force you apply at the, the middle of the grip is the force. And the distance that that grip point travels in the downswing is um, going to be what you're, you're multiplying that force by to get your linear work. And then we've also got a torque times the angular distance. So those things are going to change the kinetic energy. And for you, uh, it looked like you were being a little passive in, in transition. You weren't really uh, starting with, you know, sufficiently high level of, of muscle tension in your body to simplify it on, on the way down. And therefore, that average force and average torque you're applying to the club wasn't as high as it could have been. Gotcha. And so by this faster backswing cue, so, you know, just thinking about this, the club was going back faster with, with more force, right, it was going back. And so I had to apply more force in the opposite direction to get it moving in the opposite direction. Is that is that kind of right? Yeah, exactly. So, so we we're going to bring the club to a relative stop um, in in transition, the end of the backswing, start of the downswing. So, just to stop it, we need to have tension in our muscles. If we completely pause at the top, like Hideki Matsuyama, then now essentially we've got very little tension in our muscles. Other otherwise, we would be moving, right? So, if you completely pause, now you're starting from essentially zero. You never see baseball pitcher wind up pause and then you know start the throw they always have this dynamic move where they whip the ball back and start forward because you, you want to start that forward movement with tension in your muscles it means that there's going to be a higher average value of force applied on the on the way down where people can try this out for themselves or where it's for most familiar with people that have any, have any kind of physical education background is comparing a jump where you go down and squat and you pause at the bottom. So you're, you're sitting in a squatted position and from that squatted position you try to jump as high as you can. You're not going to jump as high as you would if you did the squat and jump in, in one fluid movement. That's called a counter movement jump. If you're pause at the bottom that tension in your muscles that's going to propel you up 
is just sufficient to balance out your body weight, which isn't very much tension. You can kind of sit in that squat position for a while. If you do a counter movement jump, now at that, when you're at your bottom of your squat, if you're in that kind of continuous motion of a counter movement jump, the forces that are developed are going to greatly exceed what's required just to balance out your body weight. So now you're starting that upward movement of the jump, that, that upward portion of the jump at a much higher level of of force uh, being applied from the ground to your body as well as in the muscles, which is going to result in a higher jump height. One of the good comments that I enjoyed was, uh, I always told to take my club away low and slow. My normal club head speed was 114. Saw your video, decided to try and pick up my tempo on my backswing. I was pleasantly surprised that I jumped from 114 to 119 without forcing a fast downswing. Lo and behold, it works. So just interesting, right? Like, I think this is this worked for, there are probably like uh, a whole handful of people that said that they went out and tried this on the range and saw some speed increases that it totally worked for. Will this work for... Everybody, I know that's kind of a uh, maybe a silly question, but if everybody tried a faster backswing, would they gain more speed? Definitely not. And I would bet the I would bet the average golfer would not without any training. So if if you took the average golfer and you said, right, you get a thousand dollars in a month, we're going to test your club head speed today. And in a month, we're going to test your club head speed again with the driver. And every mile per hour you gain, we're going to give you a thousand bucks. And to me, you would train for that. You would train for the back faster backswing. There's no doubt that it, it is going to give you potential to, to increase club head speed. But that's not really what we're doing. We're playing golf, and not everybody has time to practice. Personally, I'm at the state of my golfing career right now where I actively try to pause. Uh, the, the closer I get to Hideki Matsuyama, I really can't do it. It just feels super awkward. But But that's where I get my best drives. That's where I generate... The, my highest amount of club head speed. It never used to be like that. I used to be quite quite dynamic, but I tend to, if I try to have a faster backswing, things just get a little out of sync. I tend not to get uh, the as good of a transition order, you know, lower body, nice stretch, torso starts moving, nice stretch across the lead shoulder. In particular, if I try to make a fast backswing, my trail arm really just doesn't cooperate with the rest of my body. So I try to pause, and that allows me to sequence the downswing better. But if someone said, right, here we go, let's let's get serious with, with golf, and, and let's try to really increase your compass speed, that is definitely something that I would, would try and do. And, and if I don't have to worry about hitting a ball, so if I'm just, you know, I've got some some swing trainer overspeed equipment in, in the lab, and I certainly will, without any regards to face control or anything, I, I swing faster with a faster tempo backswing, but when you start to put all the necessary pieces in hitting a good drive, and uh, it doesn't always work out that way. So, you know, and, and I'm decent, you know, I'm, you know, last time I got fitted, I was 114 miles per hour club of speed. I play a pretty short course most of the time. Do I need 119? You know, no. If I was going to play really seriously and that was a huge limitation, would I start swinging faster, trying it out? Yeah. But average golfer, not super coordinated, not a ton of time to train, might not work. You, pretty athletic, already had a nice swing. We're definitely on the side of being a bit on aggressive. So it seemed like a, like a pretty cool thing to try for you. Well, this is why golf is hilarious. So, you know, this was a few months ago. And I can honestly say now we've gone through an off season even and whatnot. And I went a bit extreme after this 
going was trying to, you know, get some more speed with some different training, like trying all kinds of stuff to pick up speed and was able to pick up even more speed after this. But I still use this cue even when I went out here last week. Our season is just getting going in Minnesota because it sucks and there's snow all the time. I was using that cue. And the funny part is I hit better drives swinging harder using that because just anecdotally, I feel like I'm using the ground better. I feel more connected and my drives are just better consistently. And I fly it probably 20 yards further than if I was just to swing normally with some air quotes after that. Yeah. And it, I think it's hilarious that, you know, you're talking about how you obviously hit the ball better not doing this with a bit of pause. And I feel like I hit the ball better doing this. Like I feel more connected and just everything working more in sync and better swinging harder. That's what I love about golf is that <laughs> it's, you've got to test different things out and, and do some analysis and, and try to figure this out. Cause it's not the same for all of us. No. And, and, and you are, I uh, remember clearly that your transition sequence actually improved even just with the naked eye. Yeah. Um, you, you had a, a much better, a separation between the lower body and your your torso your lead arm folded lovely into your chest you get this great stretch across that the, you know your lat and your lead shoulder yeah it was just overall there was not just were you going to apply a, a higher average force from having that more dynamic transition but actually your coordination improved in terms of what would be typical of, of someone with a higher club head speed so yeah you know and, and there's there's something to be said too about being assertive right being aggressive committing to it a uh, shot pausing at the top you know it's kind of maybe maybe goes uh, goes against that uh, a little bit but yeah 100 percent, you have to try it just there's there's always things that are competing limiting curves and you you got to figure out uh you know if you, if you try to work on one what's going to happen to the to the others One of the things that people commented on in the video is maybe these first swings, I look a little off balance and like I'm out of control. And I'm glad that they said this because it, it brings up a really good point. We have a video on the YouTube channel of, of us doing a long drive contest with a sledgehammer to illustrate this very, very scientific and serious concept. Um, but we did a podcast as in the, you know, in the past, but briefly describe why I look off balance and, and a little, maybe a little bit out of control in those first swings. Sure. Well, well, I think it comes down to you putting your body in a position to balance out that effect of the club pulling you out over your toes. So you can make moves with your body that can generate club head speed, but you also need to be making moves with your body that, that allow you to be able to manage that speed through impact so you, you stay in balance. So you can actually focus on, uh, on you know, uh, finding the center of the face with the club as opposed to not taking a step or falling over. So the, the faster that you get that club moving in order to maintain uh, what resembles a golf swing, you need to apply more force to the grip to keep that club moving you around a circle, which means the club is pulling harder on you. And those always don't go with the ground reaction forces that, that keep you in balance. So those first few swings, hey, you increased your club head speed, but you weren't prepared to, to handle those forces. Your, your ground reaction forces you were applying horizontally to the ground and the position you had your center of mass in relative to your base support weren't ready for that. 
But hey, you you adapt it without even thinking about it. You realize, okay, I'm, I can now get this club moving faster. I'm going to make some adjustments to make sure that it doesn't pull me off balance. And I think that can actually be quite a rate limiting factor. It can almost downregulate the system. I mean, if you don't want to lose balance, which is a reasonable goal, you know, in, in certain circumstances, then whether you realize you might be subconsciously limiting how fast you're swinging the club. So it, it's nice to to put yourself at a balance because at least, you know, you can swing faster. And now it's about, you know, kind of reorganizing yourself so that now you can remain in balance with that higher club head speed. Uh, one thing I always used to do with track athletes, if they if they never, ever stumbled coming out of the blocks, hopefully they wouldn't do it in a race. But in practice, if they always came out, no stumble, no stumble, and, you know, weeks gone by of doing um, uh, starts, then they're probably not pushing themselves close enough to the limit. So when you do a track and field start, you want to get your center of mass as far in front of your base sport as you can, and it almost really encourages you to apply as much force as you can back against the ground to stay in balance. So if you don't lean enough coming out of the blocks, you don't stay low enough, then that actually down-regulates how much force you're going to apply to the ground. You might be able to apply more. You might be able to push back against the ground harder, but that would actually throw you off balance, so you don't. And you don't even realize this is happening. So in the same way as forcing a, a track and field athlete to come lower out of the blocks and drive more towards the finish line as opposed to up until they find that point where they're no longer um, stumbling or tripping is kind of what the process you put yourself through. You you, you allowed yourself to say, hey, I'm going to swing faster. Whoa, that threw me off balance. Okay, at least I swung faster. And now you can figure out how you can manage that speed. And I, I can say, you know, over time I have, my body has adapted and I have learned how to manage that speed just by putting in the reps, uh, you know, and even training, swinging even faster and faster. It makes that, that club head speed of, you know, 116 to 119 feel much more normal. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I've learned to cope with it just kind of naturally over time. I don't think I did any specific training to, to do that. Right. And I'd, I'd assume that's the way that most people do it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're pretty darn good at figuring out what we need to do without thinking to remain in balance. One other theme from the comments was that, you know, just by focusing on club head speed like this, you know, is spray the ball everywhere, bad contact, that we should have been looking at ball speed. Maybe talk about why we looked at club head speed versus ball speed here in this, you know, in these first five, five, ten minutes here when we were working on this concept. Yeah. Well, you were pretty good at making center contact. You know, um, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be surprising if you went out and shot. You're like, oh, hey, I shot two under yesterday. I'm like, yeah, nice. Good round. So you're a good golfer. Uh, you're making solid contact. Certainly, though. So then we kind of jumped right into club head speed. But certainly the first thing I would look at is ball speed. Ball speed is going to be your, your best number for a, for a bunch of reasons. It's actually what matters. So if you're trying to optimize your, your you know, your launch and your, uh, your spin and getting fit, it's all going to be around um, kind of ball speed. And it's the number that's going to be the most reliable for pretty much all uh, launch monitors out there. Definitely all the radar launch monitors. All balls are very similar. So the, all the launch monitors read balls very uh, reliably you can get some different club head shapes so if you have uh, you know your um, ping g410 is going to have a slightly different shape of the turbulators and materials and your g400 max 
and you might get systematic changes in, in what's happening with um, club head speed that's being read by, say, a, a track man. But that ball speed is going to be consistent regardless of what club you're using. And so, you know, for you, I eliminated in my head, hey, can we get ball speed up just by improving centerness of contact? No, you were already hitting it out of the screws. Okay, well, maybe we have the other thing that would reduce club head speed to ball speed ratio. That ratio would be a really severe path. So, you know, you're... Your face is square, but you're 10 degrees in out. So that glancing type blow might be something like, okay, we can, you know, maybe we can not worry about increasing your club head speed, but let's work on you cutting across it less and see a jump in ball speed. So, you know, the right away we can rule out contact and, you know, the amount you're cutting across it. And by far and away, the biggest influencer of ball speed is club head speed. So we just jump right into club head speed for you. Perfect. Perfect. Just again, anecdotally, as this went along, I found the ball speed by just getting more used to the speed and a bit of practice, putting in some reps and that went up as, a, as I got more used to it. Cause yeah, absolutely. I didn't hit it that solid the first time, first few times when you're trying to do this. And in fact, with some of the training where I was really being a bit ridiculous, you know, looking at some things, uh, like trying to lift the, the left or, or my lead foot, like lift that up, really take a long backswing and, and get that club as far back as possible. And some of this, I would literally, like ground the ball at one time I missed the ball. I will admit that as I was, you know, really trying to do this. And so I, I don't know, I feel like that kind of training and all this just kind of made, you know, speeds that were at one point out of reach now feel a bit more normal and making solid contact is a lot easier now at, at this point. Totally. I think, I think that that's a really important, important thing to bring up is that I've worked with players. This is what, if there's any trainers out there listening, I think it's really important to to document if you're if you're improving someone's club head speed that you document what I call like their maximum maximum club head speed. So, how fast can they swing right now? If you said to them, right, it's a long par five, there is no trouble. You need an eagle. How hard would you rip at this? What is your potential? You know, staying staying reasonably in balance, right? We're not talking going quite happy Gilmore. You measure that at the start of the training, 120 miles an hour. Okay, and you train them for four months and you do a variety of stuff. It's important that you then test them in that same conditions, right? Okay, I don't really care where this ball goes. How much club and speed can you generate? And note that difference because golfers will choose to swing at a different speed potentially on this course, right? So, you may have done your job in terms of training them physically to improve their potential for club at speed. But if they choose to now swing at instead of 95% of the course down to 90, because that's just how they're comfortable, then they've wasted all that, all that potential you've given them. And I think training like you're talking about, we're getting used to right on that edge where, yeah, you're just a little bit out of control now makes that when you now go out there and swing at 118, Hey, it doesn't feel so bad. And I think that's the beauty of a guy like Cameron Champ. Everybody, it, it, it's, it's amazing that he's swinging at 130 because he looks like he's swinging at 115. But he manages that speed so well, not just generating it, but it looks effortless because of how he holds his finish position. You know, there's no awkward steps. There's no out of balance. He's just really comfortable moving that club at 130 miles an hour. Forget about getting it up to 130. It's... It's his comfort level with having something pulling on him that hard and changing its 
the forces it's applying to you that quickly, that, that's just as amazing as the club at speed he's generating. You got a study going on right now or any research? Usually have a bunch. What do we got? Uh, just wrapping up a study on shaft spines that you actually inspired me to do uh, <laughs> was about 18 months ago. Yeah. So uh, yeah, had uh, finally it was like, Cordy stopped sending me emails and I decided to actually just do the study myself. So we have um, uh, teamed up with Ping and we had um, a couple of shafts that we tested in um, multiple orientations. So it was kind of research that hadn't been done before. Usually if you're testing uh, the spine of a golf shaft, uh, you'd build three separate clubs and check out the orientation in each separate club. We used one club and Ping made now that they got that special uh, adapter that's got eight settings and we had it so that it didn't actually change the lie or loft or face angle of the club. So you just rotate the shaft in the head hmm. in uh, 45 degree increments. And so we were able to line up the spine where we wanted and we had golfers take a a whack of shots with um, with each of these shaft spine alignment conditions and computed an overall strokes gain. So that's something new. Working on that with Chris Brody at Ping, who's uh, Mark Brody's son. So it's a great way to be like, hey, did you perform better with this shaft spine alignment or this other shaft spine alignment? Well, let's compare your strokes gained between the two drivers. Just doing that, and I've got a um, just starting a, a speed training study where looking at trying to optimize the specific weights that you add to the end of your club uh, to maximize your club head speed and looking at training uh, lead arm versus trail arm. Yeah, some shoe studies with foot joy, a couple of uh, studies looking at um, training aids, all sorts of stuff going on. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Huge shout out to Sasho for hanging out with us. If you do not follow Sasho on Twitter, Go find him and maybe make some comment to him about this podcast. Maybe say something about how you learned a thing or two and give him a bit of thanks for taking his time to do this. Really looking forward to getting him back on a handful of times this year because some of the research he has underway is fascinating. Hopefully we'll get some more videos and some more podcasts with with Sasha because I just always really enjoy it great guy, good friend, and, and always fun to hang out with him. So thank you for listening. Subscribe to the podcast if you don't. We have good stuff coming every, every week here now that we're in the heart of the golf season for so many. Apple Podcasts, we are on Spotify if you want to listen there. I know that's easy for a lot of folks. And then Amazon Alexa. If you have an Alexa sitting around your house, go get the Golf Science Lab skill and then just say, hey, Alexa, listen to the latest Golf Science Lab episode and she will start playing the latest podcast. So make sure to do all those things. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. My name is Cordy Walker. This episode was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions. We'll see you all next week.